Thank you. I was just going to ask for one of those. <laughs> what a time of of worship. It was some many years ago when we had changed our offering time from a time of teaching about offering to a time of continued worship. Some of you may be around here long enough that you may remember when that happened. Others of you just know that's the way it has been, but what a different time offering was today. The word came out. People were ministered to. And God said some things. I hope he said some things to you. While that was going on, the Lord spoke something to me about what we're looking at in the, in the word here today. And I will do my best to make sure that I, I get that to you. Something that I was uh, brought up to, or made, made aware of, is that sometimes God gives us a word in the Greek so to speak, and we present it in the Amplified. That sometimes we add to the Word of God a lot more than we should. And we haven't just given what the Word of God was. We're going to be in a number of different places here in your, in your Bibles this morning. It's nice to be back with you all. We missed you all last, last Sunday. Heard some good things happen, and that's always, always good to hear. But it's good to be back home in our own place with you folks. We appreciate that. There was a story that Rabbi David Nelson told of two brothers. They went to their rabbi to settle a long-standing feud. So the rabbi, he got the two of them together, and they were talking, and they were working out these differences. And after a long time, they finally got these two together, finally got these guys to see, to, to, to get along and to be okay with each other. And so he, at the end, they got them to shake hands and to even hug on each other. And at the, on the way out, the rabbi, he said to him, he said, uh, he said, I want you, before you go, before you go, this is an honor of the Jewish New Year. He says, I want you to turn to, you, to your, your brother that you just reconciled with. And I want you to, I want you to, to, to pray something for that person. And so the, the one brother turned to the other, and this is what he said. He said, brother, I pray upon you the same thing you pray upon me. And the other, other man, he turned to him and said, see, he's starting all over again. <laughs> Sometimes it is hard for us to read other people. Sometimes it's hard for, hard for us not to assume the worst about other people. And a lot of times, the things that we have going on inside of our, our, our relationships with the, with the family of God, with other brothers and sisters, is brought on more by ourselves and our perceptions of what's going on than it is by the other people involved. And as long as we stay in that mindset that it's all them, it will never change. The problem is that it is holding us back from things, from getting to where we need to be just want to review some things. Remember a, a while back we talked about the types of correction? That the first was the internal. That's the self-correction. That's when your spirit grabs hold of something in the Word or the Spirit of God speaks something and you hear it and you make that internal adjustment. You make that change on your own. That is the best type of correction. If you go through life and this is all you ever need as far as correction, your life will be a lot better. The second type of correction is external. That's when God has to send someone, something more direct has to come, and it's a little bit more harsh. It's a little bit harder. 
But we, if we take that and we, we make the adjustment at that point, it's easier for us later on. The other one is when we are rebuked. That sometimes God has to send someone and it's not just a correction. Now it's an outright rebuke. David had the prophet come to him and say, you are the man. That's a rebuke. Jesus turned to, to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's a rebuke. P- Paul turned to some people and called them uh, heretics. He called them uh, some, some things that were, that were true, but they were harsh. He had a deal in rebukes. Sometimes he wrote letters that were not just corrective. They were in the area of rebuke. And that's, that's harsher, but it's, it's necessary to keep you from getting to the place that you were going to. The last place we said was subtraction. And that's when things are lost. It may not just be stuff. It may not just be jobs. It may be relationships. It may be things that you had from the Spirit of God. Things are lost. Subtraction. And God certainly wants to avoid that, but sometimes we don't give him any, any choice. Well, my wife brought up something when we went over this before, not really a question that she was asking. She just said, I hope that in down the road you get into the difference between correction and judgment. And I thought, well, that'd be a good idea to, to, to do on that. So uh, I've, I've pondered this for a number of weeks. I uh, just haven't really directed ourselves back on into this, but thought it'd be a good thing for us here to, to do today. Now, what is the difference between correction and judgment? Because a lot of times people hear correction as judgment, and so we turn it off and we shut it down. Some people think, well, if I go and I make that correction, I'll be judging them. And so we don't make the correction. But really, when you break this down in the Word of God, the difference between judgment and correction is very simple, and it's never difficult to understand. We're going to be all around in the places of Scripture here today. But uh, three areas we're going to look at here. First, correction with people that are under me. How many of you all know, no matter where you are in the body of Christ, there are people that are under you? There are people that are under you. If you, you just look at it from the simple standpoint, when you become parents, you have children. Those children are under you. Some of you as children have the advantage of having pets. One of the greatest things about having a pet in the house, especially one who walks around the house, not hamsters and gerbils and fish, but pets who walk around the house, dogs, there's another four-footer creature that some people count as pets. We won't discuss them, (laughs) but there are dogs, you know, they can walk around the house. The nice thing about having a dog in the house is that the children now have someone to speak to. They have someone that is under them because there is no family on earth, shouldn't be, where the dogs are over the kids. It should be parents, kids, dogs. And so you'll sometimes see in a family with a young child that that child is exhorting the dog. The dog has no idea what's going on, but the child does. The child feels good about this because now I've got someone to to boss. What's real interesting about this, parents, is if you have a dog in the house and the child speaks to the dog, not always, very often they will mimic you as they speak to the dog. That can be good. <laughs> it can be hard to hear. But uh, but listen, listen to that. But the, there are people that are under me. No matter where you are in the body of Christ, there are people that are under you. 
We're not just talking at a position that I'm in this. I'm a head usher and I have ushers under me. I am in this ministry and I have these people under me. There are new believers. There are older believers. And there are people in the body of Christ that are under you in that area. I put this in your outline. The difference between, between correction and judgment is a matter of direction and purpose. The difference between judgment and correction is a matter of direction and purpose. May not make sense to you just yet. It's not really supposed to. It will. There are two things here. Who are my words directed to? Who are my words directed to? And second, what are my words spoken for? Who are my words directed to? And what are my words spoken for? Direction and purpose. This will tell you whether it's judgment or correction. If it is in regards to people under me, I must direct my words to that person. This is something that the Word of God tells us to do. If we have something, if we see a brother in sin, we are to go to who? We are to go to that person. We are to go to that brother, that sister. We are supposed to go to those people and speak to them. That is the, the, the direction that we need to go. That is the who. Who am I supposed to go to? That person. If I go to another person, I've messed up the direction. The direction of correction is toward that person who needs the correction. That's, the, that's, that's plain truth. I mean, this is not something anything new to you. But when I speak correction, I got to make sure that I have a relationship to speak the correction from. How many of you would appreciate this if you were walking around in Walmart? And I'm going to use Walmart more because Target's out of our jurisdiction now. <laughs> anyway, if you go into the Walmart and you're walking around the Walmart and you have your two kids with you. And you're walking on and one of the kids is acting up and a person in the aisle that you're in steps over and corrects your kids. Is this okay? Why? They're an adult. They may even be a parent. They're obviously older than your children. Why is it not okay for them to speak to your children? Well, let me count the ways, right? <laughs> First off, they have no relationship with your child. They're not coming at that in love. They're coming out of that, you are bothering me. You are aggravating me. You have no reason for doing this. You have bypassed my authority as an apparent and have stepped into this role. And none of those things, it, it doesn't, it, you don't like that. And it, it gets your dander up. And you want to rise up and protect that child, even though the child was wrong, even if what the adult was saying was right. You want to rise up and protect that one, right? Because correction should come from someone who has a relationship, someone who does it in love, someone who has an open door that is there. And it would rub you very much the wrong way. But see, in the body of Christ, we forget that. And we sometimes see a brother or sister doing something, and we step in and we offer correction, and we speak correction, but we haven't established all the things that, that need to go in there. As I'm John Maxwell has gone around and said, I don't know if he got this from someone else. I've only heard him say it. I think other people have said it too. As far as I know, it came from John Maxwell, but it may have come from somebody else. But he would say this. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know 
how much you care. You cannot offer correction to someone who doesn't know that you care. And the problem we have in the body of Christ is there's a whole lot of people who are not demonstrating the care but are offering the correction. That's judgment. That's judgment. Direction and purpose. Direction and purpose. There are people who depend on me. The more they depend on me in the body of Christ, he sets it up this way. He says, it shall not be as it is among those that are heathen. Among you, if you want to become the greatest in the kingdom of God, become what? The servant of all. You become a greater authority, a greater person in the body of Christ if you can become the servant of all. So the more people that you can become the servant of, the more people you will have authority over, so to speak. There's not a whole lot of serving going on in the body of Christ anymore. There's a whole lot of stuff of what do I get out of it. I love uh, Swindoll's book. Long time ago, he wrote this book. It's, uh, you can probably find it somewhere. But it's a, if you've never read this book, it's a great book to read. Improving Your Serve. Love the title of that book. Love the book. It was great. How to Become a Better Servant in the Body of Christ. That's something we certainly need to know more about. A lot of people want to become the greatest. A lot of people want to become great in the kingdom of God. Not too many people want to become servants. But if I'm going to offer correction, I need to offer it first off. Look at those people that are under me. And there are people under you. If there are not people under you, you need to get some. (laughs) How do you get some? Build a relationship. Become a servant for them. Do things to help them. These are the things you need to do. You need to have that going on. As uh, I forget who it was who was teaching this before, but they were given the three different types of uh, people that you ought to have in your life. Uh, you ought to have the Pauls. You ought to have the Timothys. And who was it? Anyone remember who the third one was? I'm trying to think who they used for the, for the third one. But anyway, the, the, the idea here was that Paul was those that are over you that you receive from, that Timothy's are those that are under you that you put into, and then there are those that are more on your equal, more on your, your same level, that you need to have people in all, those, all three of those areas. People who are lacking in any one of those relationships are not right spiritually. I don't use the right, the, the right words on that. You need to have people that put into you, that you are submitted to, that you receive from. You need to have people that are on your equal, that you see as an equal, that, that you can converse with and talk with and have some fun with and things like that. And then you ought to have people that they're not there to teach you. You're there to help them. You need to have those three things. If you are missing people in those areas, find them. Get them. So pray to God. God, I need more of this. I need more of this one. And get them into your life. Make sure that you have people who can who can speak into your life. Make sure you have people that are more on an equal level where you're at and people that need you, that depend on you. Now, here's the thing. I left this one blank so that you wouldn't get to this one ahead of time. The people that are under you. There's a lot of Christians who want to go out there and be correcting and we can, we can see the faults of other people. How many of y'all know it's real easy to see the faults of other people? What's Jesus say about that? You can see the speck in your 
your neighbor's, your, your neighbor's eye, your brother's eye. But what about the log in your own? <laughs> we missed that one. Here's the thing. If you are not praying for them, you are not the one to be correcting them. If you are not praying for them, you are not the one to be correcting them. So before you start correcting them, start praying for them. If you have seen something that's going on in their life, start praying for them. You know what happens when you start praying for someone? You get a heart for them. You get a softness to them. And then when you go into do the correction, it'll completely change. But if you're not taking time to pray for them, don't be taking time to correct them. You're praying for your kids. You got to you have to correct them. <laughs> be praying for them. First Corinthians eleven one. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You all know that kids, one of the things that they do is they imitate people. They imitate people. They, they, they just do it. My, my granddaughter, it is a fun stage. She is going through what we call the parrot stage. Whatever you say, she will say. It, oh, it's so much fun. Whatever, and she says it to everybody. So if you know one person says something and there's three people around, she says it. Uh, Nani. So-and-so said, and, she'll, she'll say, and then they're over to this one. So-and-so said, and each one, because we can't hear the conversation. <laughs> it's, it's just fun. We're just, we know it's coming. We have that they're coming out. Just love the parrot stage. Unfortunately, it's eventually going to end, and you know, we'll, be, we'll be sad. <laughs> but it does remind you that they imitate. That they imitate. And people are going to imitate you. It's wonderful that they... They respect you enough, they love you enough that they want to imitate the things that you're doing. We do this when we have our confession at the offering time. You know, some, some of the weeks I get to, to hold her. And when I'm holding her, when Naz or when Brother Jolly are making the confession, I, I try and whisper when they're saying it so that she'll, she'll parrot it. She'll repeat it when everyone else does. Oh, it's wonderful. I can, she's saying the Every time I hold her, she's saying the confession. I'm right there in her ear and I'm telling her what it is. And then she'll say it again. And she'll say, it. She, she, we did a confession together every week. It's, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> Confessions are good. But he says here, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That there are people who are going to imitate you and they should. They should. There's a stage in the Christian growth where you are imitating people that are ahead of you. And you need to keep your life to the point that people can imitate you. And not be embarrassed that they imitated something that you didn't want to be imitated. Philippians 4, 9. The, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Can you imagine saying that to a group of people? Whatever you saw me do, go ahead and do it. Whatever you saw me do, go ahead and do it. That's a good thing, huh? 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Quite often he's talking about his behavior while he is among them. That his behavior was good. I only pulled out three verses of scriptures on, on those things. There's a lot more in there about imitation. A lot more in there about following an example. People are going to follow your example. You ought to have one that they ought to follow. In your words, in your thoughts, because thoughts get expressed, in your actions, the things that they're going to mimic, Second Timothy 2, verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. 
in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Well, this is what you need to do. And you are going to have correction to give, correction to offer. In humility, correcting. Now, that person who stopped you in the Walmart tried to correct your kids. How many of those do it in humility? They do it generally in, they're proud, they're, they're prideful. It's not an error that you want to be passed on to the, to the kids. You've got to make sure when you do correction, whether it's to your children, whether it's to people in the body of Christ, that it's with gentleness. We have to be gentle to all, not just the ones that we like. Gentle to all. Able to teach. Doesn't mean that you have to get up and do a formal teaching on anything. It just needs, means you be need, need to be able to, in two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, teach them something that they need to know about that behavior. About what the Bible says about that thing. If you are going to offer correction, the correction must come from the Word of God and not what you want people to do. You ever heard this one? Well, in the church I grew up in, we always did it this way. That's not correction. That's just what's going to make you comfortable. That's not helping anybody. I like what he starts off here telling Timothy. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Awful lot of disputes we get into, folks, are ignorant and stupid. I had my share of them. I had my share of ignorant and foolish disputes. And I could argue anything with anybody and use a whole lot of word. I could do it. Call it the argumental phase of training to become a minister. But they say we everybody goes through it. But I'll tell you, I was good at arguing. Good at arguing. I got so good at arguing. When I went home from college one time, I was back at the youth group that I was in. And they were all sitting around. They were discussing something. I eventually, I eventually got out of it. And by the time I got back here, I had gotten out of that argumental stage. I was back at the youth group. Hadn't been around them for uh, three, four years. I'd been down in Tulsa a couple of years down there. Came on back and found out they were all gathering at somebody's house. And so I went on over there and we were over there doing some things, talking about some stuff. And they got into this discussion. Understand the church that, I, that they were in, that I was a part of them, was a Methodist church. So certain things were a priority to a Methodist church that was not a priority to a full gospel church. And so as we were talking about this, most of those still stayed in the Methodist type of a church. And they were talking about the different churches they were in and what they were doing and so forth. And at the top of it came up was church membership. They were talking about how important it was that you be a member of a church and that you go through the membership uh, program and that you do all the different things. And, and I just sat there and I listened and I uh, didn't say much. And then eventually I got uh, tired of listening, I guess. And I just, uh, there was another guy who was there and I said, hey, you want to go over and teach me that game? He had this game and I, the only time I've ever played it was this one night. It's called Orth- Orthello, I think it is. Othello, Othello. Othello little, little white and black chips. I think they're one color on one side and one color on the other side. Yeah. Well, we sat down and he taught me how to play that. And we played that for a while. And as we're sitting over there playing this thing, uh, I noticed that I was getting some glances from over here. They were looking over at me because I hadn't said anything about this whole conversation. They were still going. They were on this conversation about church membership for at least 30, 45 minutes talking about church membership. We had gone over there. We're playing the, the game. I'm learning about the game and stuff. And so finally, because they're, they're used to me, I'm good at arguing. I argued everything. I had an opinion about everything. I argued every opinion. And so they looked over at me and says, you know, why aren't, why don't, don't you have anything to comment on this? I said, no. And I went on and kept playing the game. 
And they, well, they just weren't going to take. Why don't you have a comment on that? I said, well, what's the Bible say about church membership? And I thought for a minute, says, well, I guess it doesn't really say anything about it. And I said, well, I don't have any comment then. And I went back on to playing uh, Orthello or whatever, however you say that name. Never played that game again. I think it was fun. <laughs> I don't know that I never played the game again because it wasn't fun, but I don't know. It just wasn't around and I probably had to relearn how to play the game at this point. But see, we can get into foolish disputes. And sometimes in the area of correction, we can get into foolish disputes. We've got to make sure that we stay with the Word of God. Am I correcting a behavior that is just aggravating to me? Am I correcting a behavior that the Word of God has said needs to be corrected? Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now this is the attitude that you need to go. If a man... And we understand we're not just talking about males, men and women. If a man is overtaking any trespass, you who are spiritual. So first off, you have to make the determination that I am spiritual. If you are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now there's the word. It's restore, not condemn. Go through the word of God. You will find out that the spirit of God does not condemn anyone. Your spirit condemns you. Go in the Word of God. Look it up yourself. You'll find it a whole, find a lot more enlightening if you look it up yourself than if I tell you where to go and find it. It is your spirit that condemns, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may show you, but He doesn't condemn you. Yet we go off a lot of times and we condemn people for their actions. That's not what we're supposed to do. He says, restore such a one, the spirit of gentleness. There's a restoring needs to be needs to be there. Judgment does not restore. Judgment condemns. Correction restores. He says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I gotta understand that even though I am not guilty of this right now, I could be. Not having the attitude, well, I'll never do that. I'll never have that problem. That's a judgmental attitude. Don't need to have that. Matthew eighteen, verse fifteen, moreover. If your brother sins against you, how many have ever had a brother or sister sin against them? Wow. That's it, huh? All right, there's some more of you. What a life you all have lived. I'll tell you, no, no one's ever sinned against you? That is just amazing. Now, come on. Some of you didn't raise your hand. You should have been right. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, it's not wrong for you to know that someone has sinned against you. That's not a sin. It's not prideful. Someone has done you wrong. Someone has done something unjustly. Something in the Word of God was broken against you. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell everyone that you can. Go and tell those that are spiritual. Hmm. Go and tell him. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. It means no one else is around. Just you go to that person and talk to him. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Wow. That's how you go. You see, that's correction. Judgment doesn't do it that way. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. Not a whole lot. Just one or two more. 
And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. That's the third step, though. A lot of times Christians tell it to the church first. And then talk to them. That's not how we're supposed to go about this. That's how judgment wants to bring it about. That's not how correction takes it, takes it on. I wrote this in your outline because I want to make sure that you got this. To direct our correction to anyone else is to engage in gossip and judgment and the results will be damaging to ourselves, the one needing correction, and those we involve. Three groups of people that are damaged. You, the person who was supposed to be corrected, and anyone that you spoke that thing to. They are damaged. How did I damage them? Because now their relationship with that brother or sister is affected. That means the brother or sister has lost something from this other brother or sister that you involved. And you shouldn't have. And you've stirred up all kinds of things because what you did was you came at it with a judgmental spirit, not a one of correction. Correction in the body of Christ is needed. Judgment is not. All right, people equal with me. We may not have the same responsibility, but the process is still the same. Whether they are below you, whether they are equal to you, the process is still the same. Go to them. Talk to them alone. They hear you, great. You're taking care of it. No one else should be involved. Here is the, here's the thing, the second one we talked about, that was purpose. The problem with most people in the area of correction is their purpose is wrong. The purpose of correction is to restore the purpose of correction is for me to be with a spirit of gentleness, to be operating in a spirit of gentleness. The, person of, uh, the purpose of judgment is not. The purpose of judgment is to condemn. The purpose of judgment is to get me in a wrong spirit and to get me used to operating under that wrong spirit instead of under the spirit of gentleness. If I operate in a spirit of judgment, my purpose becomes different is it to show off or to help a spirit of judgment the purpose becomes one to show off the spirit of correction it becomes one to help and here's a real easy way that you that you can tell that most people who have involved themselves in the area of correction will also tell other people the correction that they have done because the purpose is to show how good of a christian i was if that person gets off, I told them they shouldn't do it. Because the purpose is to show how spiritual I was, how right I was, and how wrong they were, or how wrong everyone else was. The purpose of judgment is to condemn. The purpose of correction is to restore. The purpose is wrong in the area of judgment. We have to get rid of that purpose. The purpose is to show off who I am, to show off what I heard, to show off what I know. And that's wrong. If you correct someone and that person hears it, no one should ever know anything happened. No one should. It should be done. If that person received it, if you went to that person and they received it, no one should ever know that anything happened. Ever. You shouldn't go around, well, I, they were going off wrong, but I told them. <laughs> that's, that's a spirit of judgment. Even if you started off in the area of correction, you moved over into judgment. Don't do it. 
But you see, they, that thing fires up on the inside of us. People need to know that I did something good. People need to know that I was right. People need to know that I have wisdom. People need to know that God uses me. We get off in the wrong place. If you operate in, this, in the spirit of correction, gentleness, restoration, keep that in the forefront, you don't care if anyone else knows that anything was done except for God. Because who is going to reward you? God, because you won that brother back. You pulled that brother back into the kingdom. But if you tell other people, you have set the stage for that brother or sister to be damaged. Yeah, I heard uh, brother or sister so-and-so had to correct you on that. Now they're embarrassed. Oh, can I, can I even come back? To, what, does, what do people know about me? What do they think about me? I didn't know that other people knew about that. I didn't know that they went and they told other people about that. And now the relationship that you had just built up through the spirit of correction has been smashed because the spirit of judgment came in. And you went around and told everybody about it. You should be content. If you have offered correction and that correction was received, you should be content right there. Glory to God. No one else needs to know this. I don't care that anybody ever knows that anything that I ever said or anything I ever did. Now, you get into the other places of correction, rebuke and things like that. It's other people are going to know about that. But you can get into this area of correction, this external area of correction. And no one else needs to know. Not talking about rebukes. We're talking about correction. Now, rebuke is more public. Hopefully people can avoid that. And that's what that outline that they gave us. You go out there and you get one or two others and you all come on out there. Well, that's, a, that's still in the area of correction. It's just a little bit more stern. But then when you bring it before the church, we're now talking about rebuke. All right, one more area. With people over me or away from me. I put in that last one because the, the, I mean, the most logical one is people that are over me. But how many of you all know that people always want to offer correction to someone who is nowhere near them? Well, did you hear about that traveling evangelist over in Texas and what they're doing? Did you hear about that church down in Florida? Uh-huh. Yeah, we want to start off talking about some of these things, but it, they're not anywhere near me. Same thing with people that are over me. And this is the thing that people have a hard time with. This is one of the most, this is the easiest area to fall into judgment. And as easy as the other ones are, this one's even easier. And if the devil can't get you into judgment in one of those other spots, he's going to pull you into this one. And, and do know this, the only one pulling you into judgment is Satan in his kingdom. He's the only one because God gets no good out of it. God does not want you in this area. He's not going to lead you in this area. The only one who's going to do it is the enemy. Only one. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus, this is from that time, after Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Some say that you're this, some say you're that, and, and so forth, and went on. And so he says, so who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to them, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. All right, since they are operating in revelation knowledge, something that is revealed, not taught. He says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. 
Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this should not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, is Peter over, equal to, or under the Messiah? He's under. Everybody is under Messiah. <laughs> Everybody is under Messiah. And that includes Peter. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Who? Not his equal. Not someone who is under him. Someone who is over him. Someone who he has said, you're the teacher, you're the master. Someone he just said with his own mouth, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Can you imagine having that revelation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and you are going to offer correction? If Peter could do this with Jesus, understand this, you can do it with others. Everybody say this together. I can be guilty of this. Because <laughs> you can be. <laughs> I'm not saying that you will be. All right? I'm saying you can be. If you are not on guard, it can get in. So Jesus began to teach them some things that they needed to hear. They needed to know to get ready for what was to come. And Peter pulls them aside and rebukes them for it. And Jesus says, very harshly, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Put this in your outline for you. The problem here is approaching one over us as a teacher, mentor, boss, etc., as if they were our equal. Can you imagine walking into your boss's office and giving them a correction like this? Why would you not do that? Because you are fearful that what would come next is a rebuke or subtraction. Now, Aaron and Miriam did this as well. And God rebuked them for it, didn't he? They began to see Moses as equal. God didn't see Moses as equal. He says, now hold on a minute. <laughs> you guys have approached this. Don't you understand this is Moses? Other prophets I've sent words to. Moses, I meet face to face. And you thought it was a small thing. <laughs> now this is basically an authority issue. That's why we're in this on this series. When you are dealing with someone in authority, we do not see all that they see. You do not hear all that they hear. You cannot be told. Put Ken in there. It should be Ken. You cannot be told all that they know. You cannot be told all that they know. You do not, do not have the responsibility that they have. Therefore, we are not equipped to correct, nor should we think those thoughts. This is the tough one. I had to learn it. We all have to learn it. Because it is so easy to sit under authority and decide all that authority should do. This, you know, ignorance, you see this really go into play. I think, isn't it the whole state of California, New York City, and once they just took the minimum wage and said it's going to be $15. Somehow they believe that all these small businesses have stashes of money around and that they're just hold, hoarding it and not paying anybody out of the thing. And that's not the way that most small businesses or any small business runs. Most small businesses, the, the boss is not paid for a lot of the time he puts in. 
He pays his employees first. And you only have so much of a percentage of what you bring in that you can pay out. When I worked over at Ken's Pizza, we had the percentages, we had the things broken down, and every day, breaking down what we did, we had to multiply out who worked, how many hours, the dollar amount for all those hours, and the dollar amount that we brought in. Each day, we had to do that and turn in the report. And each day, your percentage, they gave you your percentages. You had to be, and I believe, if I remember right, we were somewhere in the 30, 35% range for salaries. And if you were over that, you're going to be in trouble. Now, you also had the percentages when we did inventory. We found out the, the percentages for, the, for the, uh, you know, all the ingredients that you bought. We also had the electric. You had the rent on the building. You had all the cleaning supplies. You had the uni- you know, all the different expenses that would come on in. And, and such, and you had to show a profit after all that. Otherwise, the company's not going to keep you open. Why would they keep you open if you're not making money? So what's going to happen with all these places that just decided at $15 an hour? Because how many of y'all know, how many have ever worked a minimum wage job with other minimum wage people who were making, back when you were making 6 $7, $5, whatever it was, minimum wage? How many of y'all know people then did not earn their money they didn't earn their money. Had a lot of people that you'd be working hard. I'm sure you were working hard. You're a believer. You're taught to, to work hard. I'm sure you were working hard. But there are other people in there that didn't work hard. Can you imagine taking those kind of people? Because the same kind of people are alive today. They just have different faces and different names. But they're still there. Can you imagine taking those people and paying them $15 an hour when they can't even earn five? So what's going to happen? Less and less people are going to have jobs some of those businesses are going to close up so uh, somewhere on facebook somebody posted a picture in mcdonald's where they had a little kiosk and you walked up to the kiosk and you put your order in and said say hello to your new uh, minimum wage employee or something along those lines so they're going to have these things in place instead of the people who come back and but how how good was it for someone who was 16 to get behind a counter and take an order would you like fries with that and, and learn how to work for somebody. They're not supposed to make a living off of that. They're supposed to learn how to work. And eventually become valuable to somebody that they would pay them more money for all that. But they've, you know, they've, they've not done it. But here's where you have someone who wants to be an authority sticking their nose into a place where they haven't built a relationship. Don't know anything about what's going on there. But just want to impose their will on that thing. See, that's wrong. That doesn't help us out. I cannot look at a situation and know I understand everything about it. So the people that I was under, whether I was over at Ken's Pizza, whether I was over at Keltzer's Horseradish, wherever I was at, I had bosses. They could not tell me everything. It's not that I couldn't be trusted. It's just some things, you know, you you can't go over all the details. If you sat down and went over all the details with all the employees, you wouldn't get much work done. And we had to have a trust in, in them that they were doing some things and and making some things work. <clears throat> but I had, I've had my share of talking down and bosses. It's not a good thing to be, to be doing. We are not equipped to correct those in authority. If I do, they are no longer my authority and I can no longer receive from them. It's just a switch you throw on the inside. You, you don't realize it, but you have thrown the switch on the inside. I'm not receiving from that authority anymore. 
I will pick and choose what I receive. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Okay, I can handle that. I'll take that one on. No, you have just become your own authority. And one by one, the enemy wants to eliminate every authority in your life. So that the only authority is you. How many have ever heard this new parenting technique to go out there? You know, well, don't just tell your kids because I said so. Explain to them. Some of you haven't heard that, right? You've heard it. Okay, it's out there. We are supposed to, as a parent, you should never say, because I said so. How many of your parents said to you, why can't I go? Because I said so. That's right. We had that going on, right? And uh, churches, are you picking this up? Churches are picking this up. But you know what the Bible says about God? Because he said so. That's right. That's all I need to know. If God said it, I do it. Why? Because he said so. He does not have to explain to me why. He says to me, Steve, do it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But you see, if the devil can systematically take out every authority in your life because you don't understand why they do things, then eventually the authority of God will be taken out because you don't understand why he does things. And he has whittled away at the structure that God put in to have people over you, to have people equal with you, and to have people under you. And authority is messed up. Now, this isn't in your outline. This will just kind of be a bonus. How many of you love this scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34? Let your woman keep silent in the churches. How many of y'all love that verse? Isn't that just a fantastic one? You have it on your refrigerator? For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So basically, if you don't believe in, let your woman keep silent, do not permit them to speak, then you're ignorant. <laughs> Now, how many of you, that scripture has been, uh, it's just one of those, one, all right, I know it's in there, I know there's truth there, but I don't know what it is, so I'm just going to bypass it. <laughs> I am just going to go someplace else and not read that scripture. I'm sure there's something there, and I'm sure that there's something that I'm missing, but <laughs> I just don't like what I'm hearing, and we're just going to bypass this whole thing. And um, I was listening to um, Brother Keith Moore. Brother Keith Moore got on this verse. Oh, he did a wonderful job with this thing. It was not the topic of the... the he just kind of veered off on it. But it was wonderful. Wonderful in the way he, he broke this down. He was talking about... And I'm sure you've heard this parts of it too. That in this, in this service, there were disruptions. And some of the women would get up and they would ask questions um, across the room or disrupt the, and, and things like this. Well, he kind of broke it down into a, a, a bigger thing like that. He was sitting in a room with some, some people. And he said... Um, uh, one of the men was relating the story to everyone that it had occurred. And as he was halfway through the story, relating the story, his wife stood up and said, Oh, you got it all wrong. Let me tell it. And she just proceeded to tell the story. And he watched him. His countenance dropped. And he just kind of sat in the chair. And he said nothing more. And this came up in his spirit about it. He said, that man gave up a long time ago. Now, if you go back in the story of Genesis, you'll find out that the woman's desire would be for her husband. 
was basically an authority thing. That the authority that the, that the husband had in the home, the woman would desire it. And what you saw right there was the woman taking authority over the man. Now, it is not right for a husband to do that to his wife. But nor is it right for the woman to do that to her husband. How many of you have ever been around people that this was going on? I can't speak for your experience. I can only speak for mine. Most of the time that I've ever seen this happen, it is the woman doing this to the man. If a woman tells a story wrong, generally the guy doesn't care. Tell it any way you want to. It's fine. But if the woman remembers it a certain way, she's generally very passionate and will eventually get to the points of silencing the husband, which messes up the authority structure in the home. Because not only is he silenced in telling stories, he's silenced in speaking the word of God. He's silenced in speaking what God has directed for the family. He is silenced in a lot of matters. And that's where the problem comes in. We've had opportunity, my wife and I, and some of the people that we know, we see it firsthand. Not people here. Talking about outside the church. Where the women just totally usurp the man. We had one not too long ago. I tried to speak to it. Tried to just uh, throw out something. We, we had no authority with them. Had no authority with them at all. So I threw out some things. Shut down. Women would not hear it. But it's exactly this principle going on. We must be careful about that. At the same time that uh, Brother Keith was writing this story, he said um, his, uh, some weeks ago his wife, had, they were in the service together, and he was talking about some figures on some kind of a project they had going. I think it was either the plane or the building they were doing. And she had said something that he had the, one of the figures wrong, and she gave him the, the corrected figure. <coughs> And, and it went on. And so she, she said to my friend, she said, did I do that wrong? Should I not have brought that up? He says, no, if I have a wrong figure, please tell me what the, the thing is. I'd rather, rather correct it. And he says, no, that was, that was fine, but it was a different attitude. It wasn't one of trying to silence. It was the wrong thing. We can fall into this, folks. Because in the structure of a, the, the family, the husband is the authority. The wife is to be submissive. That does not, you ought to remember all the other petitions that come along with this. Submission does not mean it's forced. If the husband is forcing a wife into a submissive role, it is, it is, the structure is already messed up. Submission is yielded. And authority means you serve more. Authority means you seek after God more. Authority means you speak the word more. That's what it means. Anyway, I just thought you liked that little side part there. But the Word of God can be understood. Just make sure that in all our relationships, we keep them right. Those ones for authority are there for a reason. We're there to receive. It does not mean that the person in authority is perfect. It does not mean that the person in authority does everything exactly right. But understand, you are not in a perfect world. And you are dealing with imperfect people. And though there may be a more perfect way of going about it, it doesn't mean that that way will necessarily work. So I put this at the end here for you. It is judgment if I, first off, speak to the wrong person. It becomes judgment if I speak to the wrong person. Speak to the right person. Speak to the one that you are correcting. And that's it. Don't speak to anyone else about it. 
Don't tell anyone else that you had the conversation. Don't do anything to embarrass that person who was corrected. Don't do anything that's trying to bring glory to you. The purpose is to restore them, not to show off what you did. Speak to the wrong person. First way we know that judgment is there. Speak harshly to the right person. You can speak to the wrong person or you can speak harshly to the right person. You have missed the spirit of gentleness. You are no longer in the area of correction. You are now in the area of judgment. There's the third one. Make conclusions without all the information. You ever spoken to people like that? They've already decided what you have done is wrong without even hearing what it is that you have to say. I've spoken to people like that. They've made conclusions. They never even talked to me about it. People make conclusions, never even talk to you about it. Don't you do the same thing. Don't make conclusions without hearing everything. Even if you have heard from ten people on a matter, if you have not spoken to that person that's in sin, you have not heard everything yet. You need to sit on down, do what the Word of God says, get together you and that brother or sister, and begin to talk to them. What's going on here? Why is it that you're going in this direction? How is it that you, that you came to this, to do this? Whatever it might be, talk to them. Not in a judgmental way, not in a condemning way. Find out. Once you have all that they have to say about it, now you can make conclusions. Drawing conclusions is not wrong. Drawing conclusions without all the information is. You've got to get all the information. Here's a fourth one. I, it is judgment if I speak to authority as if they were not. It is judgment if I speak to authority as if they were not. Just because someone is in authority does not mean they have authority over you. A relationship is established. Paul had authority over the churches because Paul had a relationship with those churches. Paul spoke about authority in Jerusalem. He spoke about them differently. They were in authority but he didn't have anything to do with them. He talked about them as being in authority, but being outside of him. He was of Antioch. Others were of Jerusalem. He made that distinction. He still saw them as places in authority, but they were not his authority. There are going to be people out there that are authority, not your authority. Don't speak evil about them. You don't know. You don't know all the things that are involved. Don't let other people try and bring you into this, because other people will come up and they will try and say, Did you hear about Pastor so-and-so? Isn't it awful? And begin to relate to you about some things. And you have not spoken to them. You don't have an opportunity to speak to them. Here's the thing that I've always tried to do with, with my life. If I cannot get all the information, I drop it. I don't think about it. I don't ponder it. I don't look up articles on the thing. I drop it. I was listening to the uh, one radio show that I like to listen to. And this person called in. And <clears throat> I was running at the time. And I was listening to this. And I could not fast forward past her comments. Totally aggravated me. Because she started off this whole thing saying, I heard this. She was based on some things about, uh, saying some negative things about Cruz. Um, and she said, well, she based this on a rumor. She heard a rumor that this was so. And then she Googled to see. See, I'm aggravated at this point. I am just, 
I, I, if I could find the fast forward button, I wanted to get, get past it. You heard a rumor, and then you Googled something. How was I getting all the information? And the host of the show was, was actually telling us, well, look, I can tell you that rumor wasn't true because this happened so many days ago. See, you can't speak to people like that. They've already drawn their conclusions. You have to make sure that you don't draw conclusions before you hear all the facts. If you can't get all the facts, settle in yourself. I will not draw any conclusions. I will not. I'm not going to have an opinion about what Brother Creflo Dollar should have bought with his money. I'm not going to have an opinion about what so-and-so should be doing in that church because I am not in a place to hear all the information. I am not in a place to pass any kind of correction on. If you can't do it, stay out of it. Well, God, that's your servant. You deal with them. And he will. As we were worshiping today, I got this. came up in my spirit. He said, the separation most people feel in the family of God is brought on by our own wrongful judgment upon others or our perception of theirs upon us. The separation most people feel in the family of God is brought on by our own wrongful judgment upon others or our perception of theirs upon us. I meditated on that for a little while and I was beginning to think, you know, I can't come up with any kind of separation that doesn't come out of that. I've either heard some things and made a judgment and my air about when I'm in front of them is different. The spirit I have, the gentleness is gone because of what I've heard. There's a separation that's there. Or I think, I think so-and-so has made a judgment about me. And I'll cite the examples. But see, I haven't gone and talked to them yet. I haven't asked them about it yet. Don't let those things happen. Don't let those separations come up. Because no matter where we go, the enemy is always trying to work on this. If he can pull you into judgment and not in the correction, get you out of correction, pull you into judgment, what happens to those in the body of Christ who are judgmental? Judge not, lest ye be judged. And that's talking about the wrongful kind of judgment that brings condemnation. If you do that, condemnation is going to come upon you. Judgment is going to come upon you. Don't do it. The enemy knows, if I can bring you into this, if I can bring you into, I can bring you into judgment. And he's more concerned about bringing you into judgment than anything else. Be on guard. Understand correction and the benefit it will bring you and those around you when done correctly. How many of you know children that are well corrected? How many know children that are not? Big difference, isn't there? And it's not, they weren't born that way. Correction is a good thing. But think of it this way. How many of you also know parents who do nothing but judge their kids, condemn their kids, and call it correction? And what are those kids like? So of all that, what kind of a group do you want to be associated with? And that's what you need to mimic. That's what you need to do. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you. 
that you have given us a wonderful example of correction, that you correct us gently, softly. You allow us to make the adjustment on the inside. That doesn't work. You send people along our way to correct us. If that doesn't work, you'll move on to rebuke. And then it's attraction, but you sure prefer not to have to go that way. You are a wonderful example of correction. The enemy is the example of judgment, condemnation, guilt. Father, we want to mimic you. For our relationships are better, our reward is greater, our fellowship with you is much higher. Thank you, Father. That the way you will lead us is the way to be corrected, respond to that correction, and also offer correction in just the way that you laid it out. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. We have some praise reports. This is um, from Daryl. He said, we received a scholarship this week. <clears throat> Excuse me. That covers Alicia's tuition for the remainder of the school year. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Um, Alexis says she's thanking God for his favor, his covering, and praying parents. She walked out of her first, her first fender bender with no scratches to her or her car. Praise the Lord. That's a brand new baby there. <laughs> They said, I passed my practice board exams this past Tuesday. Kaplan, the company who gives the test, says that I have over a 95% chance of passing my real boards. I know that this is the area that God wants me, so the 95% is nice, but God has a 100% success rate, and I'm thankful for that. Amen. And this one is from Jeremy. He says, after much prayer and thought, I've decided to attend Gordon College in Massachusetts. I cannot believe he's going to college. Oh, my heavens. (laughs) I chose Gordon for a few reasons. He says it was the best chance for me to play baseball. The opportunities to study environmental science and marine biology are endless. I already have friends there, he says, but the biggest part um, was the Christian community. The chance to be myself and grow in Christ was the deal breaker for me. He says my teacher for next year actually shared the verse, 1 Corinthians 15.10, with me, and it helped me a lot. Hmm. Praise God. Amen. Did you want me to do any announcements? Friday. Oh, just a reminder for this Friday, um, anybody who can come, we're going to be starting at 730 right here, prayer and praise night. If you want to invite friends, it's open to anybody who would like to come and, and join us.